Welcome to the Rock Your Life Show. Where questions meet answers. The profound meets the mundane. And we help you rock rock your your life. life. We are your hosts, the Vignatis. I'm Tracy. And I'm Fabrice. Welcome, everybody, to the opening of season four. I can't believe it's episode one already. That's incredible. And happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. October. I don't know. Fantastic. I still don't know what I'm going to be for Halloween. I don't know. Maybe I'll be Benny Goodman or Eddie Daniels. Not sure yet. I'll be Napoleon. Oh, why not? That's a good one. That's a super. That's excellent. A, excellent, <laughs> this one. So, um, so uh, the topic that we chose today is a yeah, it's a topic that is very um, delicate because. It's like a sneaky one. Tendencies, conquering your tendencies, our tendencies. Um, we choose that topic uh, because uh, we all have um, some kind of inclinations and some kind of habits. Uh, human beings are creatures of habits. And so we, we like to be comfortable. Wait, I'm a creature? What is that? What kind of creature yeah, am I? Are. Okay. Creatures, a beautiful creature. Well, I'll be an African elephant. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, but yes, so we are creatures of habits, and we uh, basically try to always go where it's comfortable, and uh, we operate based on those tendencies. And a oftentimes, lot. those tendencies can be detrimental. Mm. They can be. They can be positive and be helpful but oftentimes it can be detrimental so yes and that's what we wanted to approach now um we decided to bring somebody in, oh boy do we have a guest for in you the today. mix today to 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 talk about tendencies and life experience and oh boy this is she. this is someone who has overcome mountains mm-hmm. monuments I can't even explain to you. Well, let's just get to it. Our guest today is a powerful singer, songwriter, seven-time Blues Music Awards recipient, in addition to being the winner of the 2009 B.B. King Entertainer of the Year Award, people. This is the Blues Foundation's highest honor. She's also a 2016 Grammy nominee and author of her autobiography, Weeds Like Us. She is a force to be reckoned with. Please welcome Janiva Magnus. Hi, Hi. Janiva. We are so super happy to have you here today. Oh, my God. Thank you so much. You're welcome. So glad to be here. Yes, it's good to have you. After uh, your reading parts of your books, I couldn't get... And listening to your music all these years. I mean, it's just incredible to have you sitting in front of us and, well... First of all, what made you say yes to coming on our show today Yes, and discussing your life like an open book, no pun intended, <laughs> having never met us in person. And um, so you wrote Weeds Like Us. So what's the meaning behind the title? If you had to sum it up in one sentence or a couple. A couple sentences, really. Um, Weeds Like Us is taken from the chorus of a song titled Weeds Like Us which was a song that was written about my family. Wow. Or maybe it was written about your family. Oh. Oh. Um, (laughs) 
So uh, that's a whole other podcast. Mm, the the line, the actual line uh, in the chorus is, "Weeds like us are hard to kill." Mm. Ooh. Me likey. Uh, whoa. <laughs> well, that kind of speaks for itself, and I know that you have dealt with enormous amounts of struggles from the time you were basically breathing air and brought into this world in this lifetime. And we know that I've gotten through most of the book and it is some heavy material. So I had to take breaks from it. I know. I'm sorry about that. Oh part. no, do, do not no. apologize. No, it's great Because people do need to read and there's others out there that I'm sure have gone through similar things. So this is good to have had have you on the show today so that you can show your side and how you have dealt with these tendencies mm -hmm. that you have in your life and some of your life experiences. You know, the, um, the difficulty in the content, that's such a nice, neat way of putting it, isn't it? It's so <laughs> yeah. linear. It sounds so, yeah. it doesn't sound fragmented at all. <laughs> um, the difficulty in the content is important, I believe. First of all, it was important for me to, to tell, to write it. And equally as important, actually more important, frankly, is reading it to get through to the other side because the fact of the matter is that that, that the trauma and the drama and the difficulties and the dysfunctionality and the sorrow and the loss, all of the extreme experiences of earlier parts of my life no longer define me, you see. Mm. That uh, is the gem. That is the gift. How, Be did, how it, did you recognize the breaking point of that? There was not one breaking point. There was not. There were thousands Wow. Thousands of breaking points. Uh, thousands, yeah. You did. You did not. You basically do the did the work on yourself for years and years. The job, what you call the job, you told us doing mm. the jobs, and that helped you step stone, stepping stone every time to liberate yourself from the past. Yes, in a sense, two steps forward, one step back. Um, certainly a lot of trepidation in the beginning. What is the beginning? Many early years, years of beginning and beginning again. And beginning again. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the nature, this is the cycle of nature. Mm. It's born, it lives, it dies. It's yep. born, it lives, maybe it produces some fruit and then it dies. It's born, it lives, it dies. Um, so in that similar kind of way, um, a thousand breaking points, a thousand beginnings, um, most of them in the earlier part of my life were without my consent because mm. I didn't want, I didn't understand it. You know, for, for anybody who's listening, and this all sounds a little bit odd, I come from a, everybody has a story. This one happens to be mine in terms of what the content is of weeds like us. Um, but um, 
a lot of trauma, you know, a therapist or a psychiatrist or psychologist today would refer to it as multiple complex trauma, um, severe anxiety disorder, um, you know, extreme post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, there's a lot of terms for those early experiences in my life. Um, and, persisting I think must be in my nature so when I said a moment ago about moving forward without my consent that's what I'm talking about instinctively continuing to press forward falling down getting up again I I, I didn't even know what I was doing I really didn't have a forward consciousness about much of the early part of it. That forward consciousness wouldn't begin to appear, I don't think, until I was just the very first hint of it would have been around when I was 19. Hmm. And I got a clue when I was 19 after a particularly... Well, it was my my final, what would turn out to be my last suicide attempt at 19. And I should have died. And I did not die. I talk about it in the book. Yes. Um, and Was that with the insulin? That was where I overdosed on insulin. And I'm mm-hmm. not diabetic. I was stealing my roommate's insulin and, and stocking it away, um, you know, and hiding it away, stashing it away. And got a syringe and stashed that away. And... Um, got a bunch of sleeping pills collected and stashed all those away and just waited for, you know, the moment. Um, and I took out all. I shot the insulin. I took the pills. Um, I didn't die. I should have died. 800 units of insulin Ooh. is enough to kill an elephant. Yeah. That would kill an elephant. That seems a lot. Since, well, it is a lot. Yeah. If you look at like my roommate at the time who was doing about 60 units a day and she was not a well-kept uh, diabetic, <laughs> let's put it yeah. that way. She was not well-kept. Mm. It was the 70s. I don't know who was well-kept in the 70s. <laughs> I certainly wasn't. But anyway, my point being that surviving that overdose would have been a first glimmer of light and that was given to me by someone, you know, uh, in a conversation, which is basically, you know, clearly your life, you're here for something. So. Good point. Why don't you think about that? Because, you know, this was obviously a formidable attempt. And it didn't work. And you were very like you felt like a failure that it didn't work and oh that's well, a complete failure but that's, that's really interesting to me but i think that's when you're mentally in that headspace of course you're going to think that because that was your goal that was my true north and i state that very clearly in the book my yeah. tr- my true north we people talk about finding my true right. north i found uh-huh. my true north it's painting it's mm-hmm. rescuing animals it's gardening it's finding world peace whatever my true north which was a known to me from a very young age was to end my life. And I had 
two parents that had ended their own lives. Mm -hmm. So I had very strong programming, as we would call it today, very strong statements made by... environment. My mother and my father father, separately. So, you know, um, that was a pretty strong directive. I considered it, you could say it was a directive and that would be accurate. When things get too difficult... You do not bitch, you do not complain, you shut your pie hole and you take care of yourself. Mm -hmm. And if you cannot take care of yourself, then you take yourself out. And I was not capable of taking care of myself. What's really interesting is from the age of zero to 19, if it was your unconscious speaking, because he was not conscious, that means you have such a tremendous life force. I would say, that was guiding you were, I mean, paradoxal. It's a paradox, okay? I get it. It is, but you have this unconscious that took over the, um, your life and guided you towards that true north. There's no question that there, I can see it now. I could not see it at the time. Of course not. I was in it and I was blind Mm -hmm. with it. But there's no question to me now that there was an underlying power or force that was driving the results. What was driving the narrative was my self-hatred was my self-loathing was my um, pain really but your feelings yeah Uh, but what was driving the results apparently was something else because yeah you know that didn't kill me and that in other words that the amount of insulin in those pills and that alcohol did not end my life. And I really, I mean, that was, I was trying, and that wasn't the first time. It just was the last time. So um, that was a pretty clear message, you know, you know, is this enough for you to see that it's possible you have a purpose? And I, I couldn't deny that. Mm. I couldn't deny Mm -hmm. it at that point. So that was like a clue. It was like a really big fat clue that dropped into the scene. Yeah, that's a coconut. <laughs> Giant coconut yeah. on the head. Yeah. Cracked open. And and so, you know, uh, and so it began. So that would have been a moment after a culmination of a whole lot of stuff where I began to maybe one, maybe two degrees, I would begin to pivot Mm. and search for that idea, even though it was terrifying to believe that for me. Because the the proposition of that meant, in other words, oh, you have a purpose. The proposition of that idea Mm -hmm. actually meant that I would need to give up what I knew. Mm. You see. True. Let me say this, because I think it's really important. I understand today. Now, this is many, many, many years later. I'm no longer 19 years old. 
I understand today that death, a death wish, is really just not to minimize it. Is a very deep desire for change. You see, that's how I see it now. I it's want a great way of seeing it, and and so to see it in that light can, you know, it can help. I think because really, what I want, if I uncover it, what I want deeply, what I desperately need is change. I desperately need that. Change is the source of hope. Mm. So, uh, you know, I suppose I've become, I've got a master's degree in making lemonade out of really crappy pile. I would say PhD. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go a step further. De- definitely. Uh, but you know, it's we can say that your f- the, that failure at 19... I'm glad you failed. Yeah. <laughs> That's you. all I can say. And, and yes. You. And that, fa- that failure is actually your success. That's what it was. Yeah. It, it was the turning point. So it was that failure. You turned... you making le- lemonade with bad lemon. You did... You took a failure and turned it... And start well, to shift quite slowly, yeah, but, wow. but it did it did pivot yeah. the ship. It did turn the ship, and as we know, with ships, you know, one two degrees, oh, huh. your destination is completely oh, different, from, isn't yeah. it? Just that, ask the Titanic. Yes. Hello. There we you go. Know, so yeah, I'm just saying. Yeah. You know, um, at the age of 19, well, let's say zero to 19, you obviously had tendencies mm. that were. Maybe some are stronger than others, or what are some of them that you feel were the most difficult for you? And that, and when maybe post 19, like how did you, when they started to occur again, it's like a, to simplify it, you know, the chocolate's bad and, you know, you're trying to lose weight, but you have the tendency to want to eat it or the chips or whatever. And what is it about those? tendencies that are dominant that how did you cope with those in order to start to overcome them and especially because you were starting to move you were that starting, one degree with that the ship one, turn two degrees so obviously you were starting to go away from those tendencies or try to beat them or recognize them <clears throat> or maybe layers later right so i think it's important to establish a particular piece I didn't have a great cognitive understanding of all of this stuff while it was happening. I really didn't. I didn't go after I tried to kill myself at 19 that last time. I didn't. And, you know, basically somebody had a conversation with me, which was, you know, fundamentally throwing ice water in my face. You know, wake up. What are you doing? It was literally that kind of a dialogue. I was being spoken to that way because she was so upset with me for my actions. Mm. How dare you mm. was how that conversation started. Mm. That's good. I needed that. But what's important, I think, is to understand that I didn't have any kind of, I didn't wake up and go, okay, well, so I'm going to like, you know, do it differently and see if I can have a different outcome to my life. Uh, that yeah. was not what was happening at all. I didn't have the cognitive understanding of it. All I knew is that I had to, the ship had to turn. 
It was obvious. I had, I was driven by fear. In this case, I was driven by the fear, like, what's going to be next, Geneva? Mm. What are you going to do next? You're going to get a gun, stick it in your mouth, and try to blow your head off. But with your luck, hmm, how's that going to go? That's probably going to go, you're going to blow half your face off, and it won't kill you, and then you'll have this, like, whole thing. Yeah, no, let's not go More pain? Yeah, just, you know, like, there's the girl with half a face. It just is like, no, 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 no. But she's not dead. Because she couldn't even do that, right? So, so in other words, motivated by the fear, fine. If that's what drives sure. us, then fine. But, but I didn't really have a cl- lot of clarity for a long time about uh, steering the direction of the ship, where I was heading towards, what was actually happening, the change, the deep fundamental change in my behavior that was needed. Um, so I didn't have clarity on that. I just want to be clear with the listeners because I don't know anybody who does. At this age. At At any any age. I don't know about any age, you know what I mean? So, um, the tendencies, back to your question, um, you know, are based, were based in, for the most part, they were based in fear. They were based in self-hatred. So the tendencies for self-destruction, that's the taproot of it. What did it look like? Um, drugs, alcohol, abusive men. Completely unrealistic expectation of myself, which was a complete uh, setup. When I say unrealistic expectations of myself as a weapon against myself, mm. if you tried to do that, you couldn't do it. Mm. Could, uh-huh. yeah. couldn't, couldn't do it, could you? Yeah. You know, um, the, the internal dialogue for me, um, was really brutal. So those are, te- those are manifestations. You're referring to them as tendencies. I'm referring to them as manifestations of, uh, the self-hatred, the self-loathing, um, so battling those behaviors, battling those demons, I think of them as demons, frankly. Yeah. You know, in a broad sense. Right. Um, has taken a lot of work for me. And it's been very slow. It's been one, you know, just like we're talking about the ship, it's been one degree at a time. Mm-hmm. Well, the tortoise and the hare, who wins? I always rooted for the tortoise. Always the underdog. You know. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. She's stronger. Slow and steady wins she's the race. Stronger. Seems like it. Seems like it. Yeah. She's older, number one. <laughs> He's definitely older. Yeah. So, you know, um, those were primarily the manifestations of the self hatred. And the self-loathing for me. And so being willing to make a change, you know, hasn't come easy, but it has come. It has come. And that's been huge. You know, I, I thought forever that I would do better when I felt better. Okay. But that's a mistake. Hmm. 
Mm. When I do better, I feel better. The that's action. the formula. That's a better, the action, you mean. The yeah. action. I take yeah. the action and Correct. then the way I feel. Then the Correct. effect happens. Yes. Cause Changes. and effect. Correct. Yeah. It, it's not, I, I, I tell, I've told myself for years. I still tell myself. And it's garbage. At least I'm at the point now where I recognize that piece when my head says, you know, well, you'll, you know, do it when you feel better. It's like, no, no. Do one thing. Get up and do one thing. Mm-hmm. Just do one little thing. Just do one little thing. Actions speak louder than thoughts yeah. and words. It, well, it has for me. And so when I take the action, the way I feel changes. But when I take the action, the way I feel changes. If I'm feeling poorly. So taking, um, there's this this principle, a thing called the contrary action. Doing, doing the opposite of what that very dark inner dialogue is telling me to do don't get out of bed Mm -hmm. pick up the phone and look at facebook that's a rabbit hole correct all social media yes i agree (laughs) with you if if you're not strong internally for sure (laughs) you know um it's it's, you know so passive um, not active right it's definitely and i and i to this so so it's been um, one degree at a time, two degree at a time in changing my actions. Well, what kinds of tools or remedies did you find? I know it's a very slow process. I know that. But that that moment where you you knew there was something different for your life, that you had to be here, obviously, when you were 19, the last attempt failed. Okay, that's an awesome failure. So uh, what... How did you implement tools or how did you get tools and how did you get the desire to want to carry on? And was it internally? Because we talk about action and feeling. Was it internally or was it externally? It was totally external. Okay. Mm -hmm. I didn't believe it for a second. I see. I didn't believe it for a second inside my heart. Um. But there was something in me that I still find somewhat inexplicable. And perhaps it's that underlying force that was mentioned earlier. Life perhaps force. it's that. Mm-hmm. It's called life force. Life force, spirit. Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 um, that... Um, is looking for a particular result. And in my case, I believe the result is life, not death, life. So um, ask me the question again. What kinds of tools did you have? I know they were external. So did you have certain people just kind of come to you and therapy and counseling? Did you seek it out? Mm. Did you have friends, you know, I've been in therapy since I was 13. Mm -hmm. I'm 65 now. So, well, my therapist is retired right now, so, which is really a bummer. But. (laughs) (laughs) You're taking Um, over? Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. Yeah. So, um, but anyway, you know, most of my life, right? And um, so therapy has been a fantastic tool for me. Um, 
and extremely helpful. I do find it important to be discerning about who I will choose to make that journey with me. Mm. I won't take just anyone. I learned that many years ago. Just because you're hanging, the doctor is in on your door doesn't necessarily mean put up a shingle we're in business yeah Yeah, we're in business doesn't mean a it's a right fit or b that you're actually qualified to help someone through um a trap door with mental illness it just doesn't mean you're qualified so i learned to be more discerning what does that what does that look like that ultimately looked like is interviewing there knowing that i needed some help and interviewing people and being really straight out of the gate like i'm you know can we do a consult? I'm I'm trying to find somebody that's a right fit, you know, for me. And um, I think that's important. Someone who I'm going to be comfortable with. Someone cool. who's going to be like-minded enough in the goals. Sure. Just not, like music. Just like playing with a band. It's just no different than trying to find the mm-hmm. right ensemble. Mm-hmm. So it's very similar in that way. Um, finding a proper therapist. Um, I've found... Um, in my case, because I have alcohol and drug addiction issues, that it requires it required abstinence. That's a hundred percent figure. There's no there's no fraction of that for me that is acceptable. It has to be a hundred percent abstinence for me. Zero tolerance. Yeah. Yeah, I got zero tolerance because mm-hmm. I, I I've tried, and it doesn't work for mm-hmm. me. Yeah. It's a greased slide for me yeah and I don't have any illusions about that anymore and that's fine so I'm in a state of complete and total abstinence and I'm um so then working with a therapist very important I found um you know what it's taken for me to hold on to that to to find and hold on to that abstinence has been a lot of work a lot of therapy work and um drug and alcohol related programs that's important for me specifically for me 12 step stuff it's worked really great mm-hmm. it's that's worked great. it's remarkable it's worked remarkably and eh, it's free okay that's great it's, it's yeah oh. so there's that and um for the last 30 years i've been a pretty heavy yoga practitioner ah so that's been very 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 helpful for me um Critically, without, mm, I wouldn't have been able to do any of it without music. Ah, yeah. Because I need the music. I need that sense of connection. I need and what it brings, and I need that sense of belonging that it gives to me. Um, belonging to something. Because I know in the beginning you didn't really feel like you fit or didn't think you were good enough or didn't believe what people were telling you. Yeah. And I feel that I, you and I have a lot of things in common in that regard. Um, Sorry. <laughs> no, I'm super hypercritical. I can be singing on a stage and going, they don't like it. I don't do that anymore. I've worked on myself with that. But okay. I would literally be singing the most gorgeous jazz ballad and I'm like, they don't like this mm. as the words are coming out. Mm. So um, that's, I'm glad to see that music is your, 
your connection. And what I'm gathering from you is that there is this mystical nature to you. It's, you can seek the external and all of these other counseling, those are just support. The main thing with you is there is a life force. It's that mystical part that had to live and you can't explain it. No therapy, no MD, nobody's going to be able to explain that in you because another guy first attempt done and you so many attempts and you couldn't even get it with the last one at 19. So that, that force inside of you is so strong. It's just incredible to me. So now that you're at this point, this is why you cleaned up and gotten rid of all that stuff, or at least maybe not rid of it, but it's manageable. And it's all like that snow plow. All the dirty snow is on the side. Mm-hmm, so the now you're part. able to do this. And that life force is just expanding. And that's why you have so many freaking albums and have <laughs> I had to narrow down the damn bio here. You know, I had to pick and choose what I was going to say. because we'd be here. We these would have five effect. hours of just an intro. These are the effect, <laughs> I think, of the causes but you the, made. It's just incredible, that strength. It's it, just yeah. beautiful. In, in, in as you. practitioners of Buddhism, we know the concept of your environment is a reflection of yourself. And it's never going to be the other way. It's not possible because the shadow doesn't move if the shadow doesn't move unless your arm moves. It's never going to be the shadow moving before your arms. So the, the environment... That would be a Twilight Zone episode. Yes, but the environment <laughs> is definitely a reflection of ourselves. So what's very impressive is when you, when you had those tendencies towards death... Seems like it is, which is one of the four things in life you cannot avoid, birth, aging, sickness, and death. Mm-hmm. You, took the, <laughs> you took the one that was like, whoop, let's, let's go with, with, the, with, with the hardest one of the four. And, and, and then you, you, you plowed it through, you put all this negativity on the side. How is your environment reflected slowly but surely? to all those tendencies, you were like, ooh, wait a minute, this has to go on side. How is, how is the, what was the opening? How did you felt? Again, it was, you know, a thousand changes, a thousand degrees, a thousand fragments, a thousand, uh, you know, fissures. Realizations. Yeah. Um, my... Self-will, as I recognize it today, is formidable. My um, drive, as I recognize it today, my determination, my level of determination. Um, I'm pretty strong. I'm pretty strong. You know, Viktor Frankl said it, that which is to give light must endure burning. Hmm. Correct. That's, yes. So. Could one. If that's accurate, and I think it is, then um, I'm 
I'm not sure I got exact. I think I got what your question was precisely, but I, so let me try to say that I think that it's uncovering that desire through the process of, you know, one degree at a time. So stop the alcohol, Jennifer, just stop it. Stop the drugs. And they were deeply embedded with each other for me. And, and the re let me just say this. The alcohol and the drugs had a purpose. They had a great purpose for me, as they do for many people that struggle with those addictions. And that is, um, I can't navigate life on life's terms. Now, granted, the details of my life on life's terms were rather dramatic and difficult. So who would? Okay, but I could go into that whole other branch and, and we won't do that today. But um, what at one point allowed me to get through my circumstances became the dog that would eat me. It, would be, it became the, the devil that would kill me. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Quite quickly. Mm. And so... It had to go. That just, you know, so I had to stop the alcohol, stop the drugs. We have a funny saying in the rooms of recovery, quote marks are going up around that word, which is if you want to know why you drink, quit drinking. Wow. <laughs> You're going to find out really fast That's actually what you're pouring alcohol on. Or, you know, in any of its forms. Let's just say alcohol in any of its forms. Powders, pills, yeah. whatever. Uh, if you want to know why you're doing it, stop doing it, and, and that will go poof and come right up to your face. It'll be in your face. My fear, my anxiety, I can't sleep, I can't stop thinking, I'm so <laughs> frightened, I'm so angry, I'm so... And just, it goes on and on mm -hmm, and on. Mm -hmm. And so... Um, that was no longer a tool to help me move forward or to help me navigate, but it be, it became, you know, a slow or a quick uh, way to kill me and ruin my life, whatever it was. So, so alcohol had to stop, drugs had to stop, and then what was in my face very quickly was the choices that I make in my environment. I mentioned abusive relationships, you know, um, not because I liked it, not because I needed it, but it was the devil I knew. Mm -hmm. Familiarity. It was a hundred percent familiar. It was the only thing I knew. And so I would go to that and that would be, be intolerable, quite intolerable without the alcohol and the drugs. So you see that had to go too. feeds each other. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. So, um, but what do I do about that? Because the only people that I'm attracted to, you know, you know, there was a point where it's like the only guys I'm attracted to are the bad boys. And with the bad boys comes the bad behavior, comes the abusiveness, mm -hmm. comes the rage, which generally, eventually, pretty much sooner or later is going to get pointed at me. I have the bruises and the scars to prove that. So, uh, you know, who invited them? 
at the end of the day, I make my decisions today. I make my choices today. So I guess that would be, I get to stop that too. I have an opportunity to stop that behavior as well. And to move forward through that, all of that being said, it was a very slow process for me, you know, uh, to clear away enough wreckage of my insides, to clear away enough wreckage in my heart and mind to find my truth that's not got a lot. You know, I think about Jacob Marley a lot. You know, the story of Christmas past with Jacob Marley, and Jacob Marley was the, the old man who was very greedy, and he held all his money, and he held all his money, and he had no relationships, and he had no friends, and and but he did have a bag at one point in the story. There's a there's you think you see the image of Jacob Marley, the old man, um, who's very lonely, but he's got a bag of skeletons that he drags around with him through his life. Wow. And so much of this process has been about letting that go, actually finally burying those things so that I can be free from them. So I don't have to carry that baggage, you know. Yeah, good analogy. That's great. Uh, so I'm not sure that I'm actually answering the point of your question, but um, I hope I did. You did in a way because you basically highlighted the um, the fact that your to uh, to approve improve your environment. You had to let go yes you had to let go a lot of things or you could say you had to change them yeah whatever people wants to say doesn't matter but bottom line a need a change needed saying no was the most powerful words at that time mm -hmm. of course and then there's life force that is always underlying because somehow geneva to me seems like a bottle between the a, a, a battle, not a battle, battle, yeah? yeah. A mm -hmm. battle. Make sure my English is correct. It's, but it's still bottled <laughs> hey, between the, 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 the negativity and the positivity and that m mystical part and an unmystical part you want to discover. And basically, you want that road to be open because you know and you knew and you still know nowadays. I believe I do that too. And that's what keeps me going in a way that I want to move forward. And when I go forward, there's the word ward, and then there's the word for. So you want to do it for something. Why? So this will, in this question you answer, yes, you did, because you highlighted that it's very important to make the internal change, to experience the external and we started that conversation by saying that it was mainly the external, the action that drove you. So we can see the interrelation of all those, of, of the, all this. Well, I do think you definitely, whether you were conscious of it or not, your life took responsibility. Yeah. You took it on. You voluntarily said, I need to make these changes. I need to conquer these tendencies. And your, because your life force is so strong, I think you attracted what it is that you needed. 
eventually I would begin to do that. I, I see what you're saying. Yeah. And I would begin to attract something life affirming. Life affirming. Circumstances and individuals. Mm -hmm. Results. That were life affirming rather than <laughs> vampires. Yeah, quite frankly, uh, and spiritual the, vampires. Yeah. And you start to recognize those and you start to see them. Slowly. And you start to get used to. Yeah, well, yeah, that was really slow, getting used to it. Um, so, you know, I've been asked many, many, many times <laughs> in interviews um, specific to music and the new record, whatever, the new record of the moment kind of a thing. Um, well, so, you know... How long did it, you know, how old were you when you when you first realized that, you know, you really should be doing music, that this was right? <laughs> and I laugh at that because it is. because for the listeners, part of that moving of the ship 2 degrees at age 19 had everything to do with music. I knew the desire was there. And I said, okay, hell, we're just going to try. Not believing any of it. I believed none of it. I didn't believe a damn word that you said when you said to me, you have a beautiful voice. You can write. Why don't you, we're going to give you this job singing and we're going to give you money to sing songs. Something leapt over the top of my negativity and said, yes, I'll take it. Something I didn't understand for a very, very, very long time. So this um, answer to the question to the reporter, how, how old were you when you realized that this was right, that this was the right thing? And I laugh and I say about 40. So between 19 and 40, a lot happened. Mm-hmm. I didn't believe it. I didn't begin to believe it. That's, that's the God's honest truth. I did not begin to believe you until I was 40-ish. Because I'm not the kind of person, I have never been the person that's been like, aren't I amazing, aren't I great, I'm <laughs> shit, da 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 <clears throat> You know, that is not who I am. I am many, many, many things. I will have many challenges throughout the rest of my days, but that won't be one of them. And so, and that's fine, but um, I just didn't believe you. I didn't believe you, but there was such a mountain of evidence now. Now there's a mountain of evidence. Mm. So am I really, I mean, I can curse on this, right? Yes. yes. Am I really that much of an asshole that I am not going to believe throughout this entire mountain of evidence up to this point that you really do like my voice, that you really do like my singing, that you're not, am I that much of an asshole to continue to believe that you're just idiots and you're lying to me? Come on. Come on. Cut that out. Cut it out. 
That's again, you wanting to prove yourself right. And another let go. Yeah. And another let go because that, what is that? So let's just, just, let's just unpack that Mm -hmm. for just a moment. Let's unpack that, that, and I was given this by a very good therapist. That part of me that had, she said to me quite exactly, I'll never forget it. Do you know what a foo fighter is? I said, well, yeah, it's a band. It's like a rock band. No, we're not talking about the rock band. Okay, okay. No, I don't know what a Foo Fighter is. You know, they're those sculptures that you see in a Chinese garden or at a Chinese restaurant, and they're the dogs, and they're quite ferocious looking. And they're usually standing at a door mm-hmm. or an archway. The reason that they're there is that their job is to protect them. They're protecting they're protectors. They're great spiritual protectors. And I said, okay. And she said, that part of you that's gone, you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, you're going to give me another award, but you don't know what you're talking about. Oh, you're going to give me a Grammy nomination? You don't know what you're talking about. That part of you is like your Foo Fighter. It's trying to protect you. Now, it's misguided. It's no longer needed in this way. You needed that when you were little. But Mm. you don't need it now. That part of you, which is also deeply tethered to your instinct, or, you know, the instinct, um... can back off it's not needed you don't need it anymore you're full grown woman now you know and so to allow that part to recede internally was a decision I had to make so when she jumps up and she still does to this day and goes claws up Fighters. Yeah. I know that is a part of me that's just trying to protect me. Mm. The way that I needed protecting when I was quite young and didn't get it. Yeah. I have this, it's called the roar of the lion. Yeah. That's another way of mm-hmm. saying it. Mm-hmm. It's a good one. When mm-hmm. I need to roar, I roar. Yeah. And it's could be external, but the environment can show me that I need to roar, mm. or it's the internal says, gotta do it. Yeah, I, there's <coughs> someone said to me many years ago, you know, with this kind of internal, in, in this internal uh, journey, you know, if my reaction is hysterical to some stimulus, to a person, a place, a thing, a situation, and this also applies to the whole um, post-traumatic stress disorder mm-hmm. element, mm-hmm. right? The PTSD thing. If my reaction is hysterical, it's probably historical. Huh. You trust that? I have found it to be accurate. I have found a lot of accuracy there. So if I'm able to 
separate my history from my now, from this moment in the moment, which is really where the power is. The power is in the now. The power is in the moment. It's not in the history. Mm-hmm. The history's gone. But uh, if I, you know, if I can make that separation somehow, and the sound effect is like, <laughs> it's like a pulling apart very slowly, and and sometimes painfully. Um, it really helps me to not. Uh, suffer quite so much I'm not suffering quite so much you know just because that that guy looks like that ex-boyfriend mm-hmm. <laughs> just because that song reminds me of oh god do I have to remember this again I don't want to remember this moment again that woman looks uh, for years I used to see um women who looked like my mother. I swear to God, it was my mother. It would be like, uh, you know. uh, Was that you projecting it? Maybe. Maybe these were women that were half French and half Irish and had the same genetic, and I would see her on the street from the side. She would be the same petite frame and carry her purse the same way. And the uh, uh, Who knows? Yeah. You know. For sure. What was significant was my reaction, which would stop time for me. Uh, so, um, 